last week, last week we were in Matthew 7, continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the home stretch now. Um, and it was interesting, you know, each week I tell you, you have the opportunity to ask questions. If you have questions um, about the sermon or things, you can write them down on the green sheets of paper that should be in the pews or back by that question box underneath the green question mark. Or you can always ask me questions in person or email me, whatever. Uh, last week, I did not get a question that I was expecting to get. Um, it's a question that you probably all thought. I think it's a question that's inevitable if you let the full force of, of Jesus' words that we looked at last week hit you. So to review briefly what those words were, it came in Matthew 7, and the main thrust was in verse 1, where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. So the main point uh, that we camped on last week was don't judge. As a follower of Jesus, for you and for me, and especially as we gather as a church, this is supposed to be a judgment-free zone. That sure, we can still use our discernment to figure out what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, but we do not get the permission from Jesus. In fact, we're forbidden from passing judgment on other people. Looking at other people and deciding, I am better than that person because I don't do that thing that they do. And so when, when someone else does something wrong, we're not supposed to pile on that person and condemn that person and show how much better we are than that person because we didn't do that thing that they did. But instead, we're supposed to show them the same mercy and the same grace that God has shown to us. So the church, all Christians in our lives, we're supposed to be judgment-free zones. And we explored that pretty deeply last week. Um, and if you want to listen to it again or whatever, there's always, you can get a copy of the CD in the back booth or you can listen online. Uh, but this week, I want to deal with the inevitable follow-up question that you may even be asking again right now. If we aren't allowed to judge people, and Jesus says we aren't, then how are we supposed to deal with people who are wrong? What are we supposed to do with them? Isn't Jesus really hamstringing us as his followers here? He's given us all this truth. I mean, we've spent a while in the Sermon on the Mount. We're walking through it pretty slowly, trying to get all the truth out of it that we can. And so Jesus is, is teaching us. He's giving us all this wonderful truth about how we're supposed to live. He's given us a mission to change the world. How are we supposed to do that if we can't judge people? How are we supposed to change the world if we can't use condemnation and shame and judgment to make people see how bad they are and turn around and follow him? What other options do we have? I mean, how are you supposed to make your spouse change if you can't tell her how bad of a wife she is? Or you can't tell him how bad of a husband he is? How are you supposed to get through to your rebellious children if you can't make them feel bad for the choices that they're making? How do you tell a friend that it's a bad idea to move in with her boyfriend without sounding condemning and judgmental? How do we as a church confront one another on our gossip and our coveting without sounding like Pharisees? If we're not allowed to judge, how do we deal with people who are wrong? What options do we have? Well, that's actually the main focus of this passage. We just touched on the, the big idea last week, where Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1, Judge not that you be not judged. But then what he does in the next ten verses 
as he explains how we then deal with people who are wrong. If we can't judge them, what do we do? And he shows us how we can truly help them in a loving, in a non-judgmental sort of way, and ultimately much more effective and much more life-giving. So let's read this blueprint together from Jesus on how to deal with people who are wrong. It's Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, and I'll read through verse 11. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. What we have here is a four-part strategy for dealing with people who are wrong. It's counterintuitive. It goes against our natural instincts, but it is absolute genius. Jesus is a relational genius. If we would just follow what he says here, our lives and our relationships would be so much more life-giving, so much more flourishing. It's a four-part strategy. I'll give you the four right up front, and then we'll walk through them together. This is coming right out of the text. What Jesus gives us here, the strategy to deal with people who are wrong, the first part of the strategy is admit and repent of your sin. Second one is gently correct those who will receive correction. Third is don't force correction on those who will not receive it. And then finally, pray. If you didn't get all those, we'll hit them again. Don't worry. Let's unpack them one at a time. First, The first strategy, the first part of the strategy to deal with those who are wrong is to admit and repent of your sin. Let's look at the illustration again that Jesus gives about the log and the speck. Verse 3, why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And notice, this is an illustration of how to deal with people who are wrong. You see that? Jesus is pointing out that your brother has a speck in his eye. There really is a problem. He really does have a speck in his eye. There's something that's actually wrong. And the end result in verse 5 is that you get to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. So, Jesus is not saying that when people have problems or when somebody's wrong, you just leave them alone. He's not saying that. He really does want us to be able to help one another. He really does want us to be able to take the speck out of each other's eyes. But before we can get there, before we can help other people with their problems, he says we've got to deal with ourselves first. Verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye 
and then, only then, can we start to correct others. Right? This is not optional. So you can't listen to the sermon today and say, I like the last three strategies. I'm just going to ignore the first one. Jesus tells us right here, this is the first thing you have to do. First, we must do this. Don't move on to anything else until we do this. Take the log out of your eye before you can help others. So what does that mean, to take the log out of our eye? Well, in a general sense, Jesus is just talking about our own sin. He's saying we've all got our own sin. It's easy to see other people's sin. We've all got our own sin. So before we start going dealing with other people, we've got to deal with our own sin, identify it, admit it, repent of it. That's what it means to take the log out of your eye. Um, that's pretty broad, though. We all have a lot of sins. So I'm going to narrow it down for us to three of the most basic, common types of logs that we have in our eyes as we try to go and help other people. The first kind of log that we typically have in our eyes when we try to help others is the same type of sin that you're trying to correct. That's a common kind of log to have in your eye. The same kind of sin that you're trying to correct in others. A great place to start as you're trying to do a little log removal is say, am I guilty of the very same thing that I'm trying to correct in this other person? One painful example. I wish I knew about more of you screwing up. I have to keep telling about my own life because I, I know when I make mistakes. But anyway, just bear with me. So the other day, I'm correcting my kids for not taking care of their stuff. You know, it bothers me that they have nice things. Often they've been given to them. And they don't put them away. They don't take care of them. They end up bro- broken, lost. So I was giving them a, a really, really good lecture. Right? Just, just explaining this to them, how bad this was. And, and you know, start thinking about my own logs. And, and you know why they do that? It's because I do it. It's because I do it. You know, and I'm not just talking about little toys or trinkets. I'm talking about big things. Like, I don't take care of my house. I don't take care of my lawn. I don't take care of my cars. And I, I hate that about myself. I don't like that. And so when I see that showing up in my kids, I get really angry. And I condemn it in them. I overreact about the speck that's in their eye while I've got a log sticking out of mine. And my log is the same type of sin that I see in them. And I assume that I'm, I'm not alone in this. That many of us condemn most strongly in others the very things that we hate about ourselves. And so Jesus urges us, before you go out there and correct other people, trying to take your anger out on them that you really have about yourself, before you do that, look at yourself and say, am, am, I, am I sinning in the same way? Do I do the same thing? Admit that sin. Repent of that sin before you get anywhere near trying to correct someone else for the same thing that you're doing. Okay, that's one kind of log. That we're going to be doing the same thing that we're condemning in others. A second kind of log that's very common is that you might have a, a sin of yours that has contributed to their problem. So you're coming in, you're ready to correct them for a problem, but really the, the whole reason that they're sinning is because you started it. Right? Because you've got some sin that contributed to their problem. As my brother used to say, it all started when he hit me back. Okay? It all, it all, everything was fine until he hit me back. That's when the fight began. And that's what we do. We, we, have this pro- we have this view, we look at the other person, we say the problem is with them. I didn't do anything wrong. 
I mean, the real fight started when they hit me back. And so we focus on them. We focus on their sin, what they've done wrong. And we ignore the fact that we have done something to contribute to that problem. And so Jesus says, before you focus on them and what they're doing, yes, they may be doing something wrong, but before you get there, take a second, look at yourself. Have I done something to contribute to this sin that I need to repent of, that I need to admit? So your spouse may be acting very selfishly. And that's wrong. I'm not excusing that. But you need to look at yourself and say, are they perhaps acting this way because I too am acting selfishly? And they feel like they have to act selfishly to respond and protect their territory because I'm not being loving towards them? You can admit that. You can repent that. Repent of that. Or or you think, you know, your your friend may have said something really mean to you. They may have said something really mean about you to somebody else. And that's wrong. I'm not excusing that. But you need to look at yourself and say, did you do something to hurt them? Did you do something to provoke them? Were you mean to them first? Is there something that you need to repent of? You see, we get so focused on others and what's wrong with them, but we ignore our own sins that may have caused the problem. It may be that the speck that you see in someone else's eye is just a splinter that came off the log in your eye as you were beating them with it. Right? The big problem might be with you. So if you want to help them with the speck, the first thing you need to do is own up to your own sin that may have contributed to their sin. And before you tell them what they've done wrong, admit what you've done wrong. And repent. And say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? The third kind of log that's very common, and it may be the one that Jesus is most focused on here, is a self-righteous, judgmental attitude. So it may be that you don't Um, You're not struggling with the same sort of sin they're struggling with, and you didn't do anything to contribute to the sin that they have. And if that's the case, then you're probably in danger of this third kind of log, which is that you come in with a self-righteous, condemning attitude. Based on context, it seems like this is the main point, because Jesus is saying, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. Don't come in hot, brimming with self-righteousness, eager to point out the wrong this other person has done. You know, if, if that's the case, then it's your whole attitude that's the log. That's the thing that keeps you from being able to truly help is that you're not desiring their good, you just want to condemn. And so Jesus says the first thing you have to do, the first thing, and you cannot skip this step, the first thing you have to do is take the log out of your own eye, admit your sinful attitude. Humble yourself before God and before the other person and say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my pride, I'm sorry for my judgmentalism. Please forgive me. And it's not a painless procedure to pull a log out of your eye, right? It's hard, it hurts, but it's a lot better when it's out. And so Jesus says, do this first. Before you deal with anybody else, deal with yourself. Now, once that's done, you can proceed to step two, which is to gently correct those who will receive correction. It says in verse 5, the payout is, as he says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So we don't stop with the first step, and we don't say, we can't judge, so we can never do anything. Jesus says, no, get involved. You can help people. 
If you first get the log out of your eye, then you will see clearly to be able to help others. But we have to do it gently. We have to do it gently. Remember, Jesus is using an analogy of touching a person's eye. This is a very delicate thing. There's a great British preacher of the last century. His name is Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he, he put this really beautifully, so I'm going to read what he says. He says, The procedure of getting a speck out of an eye is a very difficult operation. There is no organ that is more sensitive than the eye. The moment the finger touches it, it closes up. It's so delicate. What you require above everything else in dealing with it is sympathy, patience, calmness, coolness. That is what is required because of the delicacy of the operation. Transfer all that into the spiritual realm. You are going to handle a soul. You are going to touch the most sensitive thing in man. How can we get the little speck out? There's only one thing that matters at that point, and that is that you should be humble. You should be sympathetic. You should be so conscious of your own sin and your own unworthiness that when you find it in another, far from condemning, you feel like weeping. You're full of sympathy and compassion. You really do want to help. You've so enjoyed getting rid of the thing in yourself that you want him to have the same pleasure and the same joy. You cannot be a spiritual optometrist until you yourself have clear sight. Do you hear what he's saying? We must be gentle. If you were literally trying to get the speck out of someone else's eye, you would be gentle. You wouldn't go barging in there. You'd be gentle because the eye is sensitive. It's delicate. I mean, I wear glasses today because I cannot even touch my own eyeball. I tried contacts. I couldn't do it. Okay? To let somebody else touch my eyes. I mean, it's it's crazy. The eye is so sensitive. You have to be so gentle as you're going in to remove a speck from someone else's eye. And now he says, now, you're not just touching a person's eye. When you go in to critique them, to correct them, you are touching their soul, the most sensitive part of a man. It's so difficult to do. You must be gentle. But it's so beautiful when it's done gently, when someone speaks the truth to you in love, when they are so kind and gentle, when they're so clearly looking out for your good, when it's done You're not hurt. You're not angry. You're thankful. Because it bothered you so much when it was in there. Now it's gone. That's what we want to do. We want to be so gentle in our correction that at the end, others will thank us for it. It's hard to be that gentle, but more than half the battle is won if you do the first step. If you take the log out of your own eye, just doing that humbles your heart. It gets you excited about grace and orients you towards the person's good and not towards their condemnation. But even doing that still, we must be gentle. We must take care with the tone of voice that we use, with our posture, with the time and the place in which we choose to correct another person. All these things matter. We must be gentle. And we need to be thoughtful in the words that we use. We need to be thoughtful with our posture, thoughtful with all these things. You wouldn't just go barging in and touch somebody's eyeball when they weren't expecting it, when they're cooking dinner, you know, when, they're, when they're reading a book. You prepare them for it. In the same way, when you go to correct somebody, you don't just barge in when you feel like telling them. You find the right time, the right place, and you're gentle. And we must not be surprised when those that we try to correct get upset. 
Even somebody who's ready for it, you know, who's sitting there ready for you to remove a speck from their eye will flinch when you touch their eyeball. And people, even when they're ready for it, when they're mature and willing to receive correction, it's still, people will flinch when you correct them. So don't be surprised, but be gentle. And know that even if you do everything right, not everyone is going to be open to this kind of eye surgery. Notice in in chapter 7, Jesus says multiple times, brother, your brother, your brother. was a speck in your brother's eye. How can you say to your brother, you hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, then you can see from your brother's eye. I don't know about you, but I've never asked a stranger who's not like a certified optometrist to take anything out of my eyeball. I've never asked just anybody, hey, could you touch my eye? Okay, we don't do that. The eyes are very sensitive. It's, you, know, you want somebody who cares about you, that you trust, to, to do that sort of thing. And so Jesus says, hey, this is pretty personal. Correcting people is very personal. It works well in the context of established relationships. It works best in your family, in the church, and people who trust you, you, with whom you have deep relationships. It doesn't work around to be going, hey, you've got a problem, you've got a problem, you've got a problem. No one's going to receive that. So Jesus says, give correction. Give it gently to those who will receive it. Because not everyone is going to be willing to receive correction. And for those people, there's verse 6. Let's look at verse 6 in chapter 7. Jesus says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and, run, uh, and turn to attack you. All right, now this one seems a little harsh, uh, but really what Jesus is doing here is teaching us the third strategy for how to deal with people who are wrong, and that's don't force correction on those who will not receive it. Don't force correction on those who will not receive it. Once again, we have Jesus slowing us down here. He's saying, like, we've got all these, all this holy information. We have all these pearls of wisdom. Right? We've been, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount is full of wisdom, full of pearls of wisdom. We've learned so much just studying these three chapters in Matthew. And so we get all this truth, and we get all this excitement about how to live. We see in our own lives how we're not doing it. We change. We experience some growth and some joy from that. We're excited about following Jesus. We love the truth. And we're filled with all this zeal and saying, hey, you know, you should have this truth too. Like, you should know what I know. You should live this way because it's, it's so wonderful and we want to share it with everybody. But not everybody wants to hear it. And in verse 6, Jesus is saying we need to recognize this. We need to recognize that for some people, forcing truth on them when they won't receive it is counterproductive. It's like taking really valuable, expensive, beautiful pearls and giving them to pigs. But pigs don't want pearls. Pigs want slop. They want food. They want to eat. They can't eat pearls. So they don't recognize the beauty of the pearls, the goodness of the pearls. You just throw the pearls at the pigs, and they get angry because they can't eat them. And so they turn on you, and they attack you because you're not giving them what they want. And Jesus is trying to illustrate for us, this is a real possibility that can happen. There are some people who will not receive correction. And when you try to correct people who will not receive correction, this is what happens. They turn and attack you. It might be your child. It might be a friend or a coworker. It might be a sibling. Someone that you love and you care about them. 
And you see them walking down the path of life, and they are making bad choices. And it's really not a complicated solution. You know the answer. You have the answer. If they would just listen to you and do what you say, then they would live a better life. They wouldn't be making these same bad decisions. They wouldn't be having the same problems. And because you love them, you want to tell them, and so you, you tell them. Say, I know what you need to do. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to follow Jesus. But if they're not ready to hear it, instead of receiving it as the beautiful pearl of wisdom and truth that it is, they will just get angry with you. And the more you throw pearls at them, the more they will get frustrated and they will turn and they will attack. There's just some people at whatever point in life they're at that they are not ready to receive correction from you. And no matter how well you take the log out, no matter how gentle you are with your communication, they're just at this place where all they can receive from you is condemnation. That's all they hear. And since all they hear and receive is attack, that's what they're going to do. They're going to turn and attack you right back. So Jesus counsels, recognize these people and don't force it. Don't force it. This does not mean, though, that we abandon people like this. It doesn't mean that you try to correct somebody and when they reject you, they don't respond well. It doesn't mean that you just wipe your hands and say, well, I guess you're just an ungrateful swine. You know, have fun eating your slop. Talk to you sometime. He's not saying that. He's not saying wipe your hands and just let them go. He's, he's just saying don't force it on them. They're not ready to receive it. He wants us to keep loving them. He's not saying stop, love them, stop loving them. He, he wants us to love them, but he wants us to really love them. To love them enough that we let them be responsible for their lives. To love them enough that we treat them the way we want to be treated, as free and responsible human beings. He wants us to love them enough to respect their decisions. And that even if they don't want to hear and receive the truth of God, we will not force it on them. Of course, that's the opposite of what we want to do especially if the person we're trying to correct is very dear to us, our natural response is to just keep pushing. Try again. I know we've had this fight a hundred times. Let's do it a hundred and first. Maybe it'll be different. Maybe this time I'll get through to him. Maybe this time I'll get through to her. But it doesn't work. No matter how, no matter how many pearls you dump on the pig, they're still not able to eat them and they're still going to get angry. So the counterintuitive genius of Jesus, is he says, the way forward with folks in that situation is by backing off. It's like a Chinese finger trap, you know, those little knickknacks where you put the finger in there. And the harder you pull, the harder it is to get out. It just traps you more. But if you relax, if you push in, then you can get your fingers out. That's what it's like with these, with these kind of people in this kind of situation. The harder you push, the more you struggle, the more intractable the situation becomes. But if you can relax, if you can back off, it's in that space that Jesus creates the ability for relationships to move forward. Dallas Willard is an author who, in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, uh, explains this paradox really well. He says, as long as I am condemning my friends or relatives or pushing my pearls on them, I am the problem. They have to respond to me, and that usually leads to their judging me right back or abiding me, as Jesus said. But once I back away, 
maintaining a sensitive and non-manipulative presence, I am no longer the problem. As I listen, they don't have to protect themselves from me, and they begin to open up. I may quickly begin to appear to them as a possible ally and resource. Now they begin to see their problem to be the situation they've created, or possibly themselves, because I'm no longer trying to drive them. Genuine communication, real sharing of hearts becomes an attractive possibility. What he's saying is as long as we're pushing our pearls on those who don't want them, it's easy for them to identify us as the problem. We become the scapegoat then. They think the problem is us. It's us. We're the problem because we're always pushing our stuff on them. And so they're like, oh, if they just stop pushing the stuff on me, life would be fine. Okay, that's the opportunity you give people when you push on them. You, you let them scapegoat you into you being the problem. But you know what? If you back off, if you, I mean, they've heard the truth from you, right? You don't need to say it again. If you just back off, love them unconditionally, then you're no longer the problem. They, they can't blame you. You're not the flashpoints. And now they have to face the fact eventually that there is a problem. It's not you. It might be them. And eventually, since you're loving them unconditionally, you're not pressuring them, they may even see you as an ally, as a friend, and they come to you and ask you for the very help you've been dying to give them all along. But to do that, You've got to listen to the challenge of Jesus here. Don't give to dogs what's holy. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. There's just some people who at the point of life that they're at are not ready to receive correction. And if you discern that that's the case, you need to back off. Don't force it. Now this can be really scary to do. And that's why Jesus leaves us with this fourth strategy, which is prayer. You need to pray. Verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It can be really scary to give up control you think, well, what if they never change? If I stop pressuring them, if I let up the, the heat, then they're just going to make horrible decisions. They're never going to change. If I don't use my judgment, if I don't use my manipulation to get them to do what I want, then they'll never change. It's very scary to do this sort of thing. And so Jesus says, here's what you need to do. When you let go, when you stop trying to manipulate other people, you turn to God and you begin to pray. Pray. We ask our Heavenly Father. Now, prayer is the single most effective thing that you can do for someone who's wrong. Let me just say that again. Prayer is the single most effective thing that you can do for someone who is wrong. Instead of getting caught up in the games of trying to control and manipulate and fight and get them to change, you just let go and you ask God to change them instead. And it feels like giving up. And in a sense, it is giving up. It's giving up your attempts to fix another person, but in another sense, in a very real sense, it's just beginning to fight. It's the beginning of the fight when you finally get serious about prayer because prayer is where the real work takes place. It's the area where Jesus promises results. Look what he says in verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
Are you tired of beating your head against the wall? Having the same arguments over and over and over. The answer is not to beat your head against the wall even harder. The answer is to stop beating your head against the wall. Stop trying to fix the other person in your own strength. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Ask God to change the person. And he does. He really does. Look at the comfort that Christ gives. He said, we can trust our Father, right? He says, because look, in verse 9, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Like We give our kids good things, generally. When they ask for stuff, we don't do a switcheroo and say, ah, here's some poison. No, we don't do that. You shouldn't do that. Don't do that. You know, in, in us, even being evil, know that we give our kids good things. How much more will our Father, being perfect, give us what we need? And so as we enter this place of fear and, 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 and anxiety, like, I, I, I'm giving up. I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I can't control them with my guilt and my shame and my judgment. What am I going to do? As we're in that place, we can trust God and say, I'm going to let it go. I'm just going to love them. I'm just going to love them. I'm going to pray. And your Father, who loves you, and, and by the way, who loves this person that you want to fix more than you love them, he will give good things to those who ask. So if you find yourself in a situation where someone you love is wrong, even dangerously wrong, the most important thing you can do is pray. If they're open to correction, by all means, get the log out of your eye and gently correct. But if they're not, give them space, give them love, and pray. And your Father in heaven will give good things to those who ask Him. This is the final word. I, I recognize that every situation has its own complexities. This is pretty general. So if any of you, if any of you want any help, you know, just sitting down with me and talking through some of the specifics of your situation, how do we do this? You know, in this particular situation, I would love to be able to do that with you. I especially would love to be on your prayer team if you've got something that you want to be praying for. But in general, this is the strategy that we need to deal with people who are wrong. Admit your own sin and repent of it. Gently correct those who will receive correction. Don't force correction on those who are not ready for it. And pray. Above all, pray. Let's do that now.